0: We're continuing our journey in Ephesians. Uh, Paul spends three chapters talking about uh, what God and Christ and the Holy Spirit have done when they saved you. And um, he's laid out a lot of doctrine. He's laid out a lot of principles for us that help us to understand that that, that God uh, chose us and adopted us and blessed us. And Christ continues to pour riches upon us and forgives us and has redeemed us. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand his word, and seals us. He's talked about the idea that when uh, before you became a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But by grace, through faith, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God saved you. And it's not by works, not anything you can do. It is a gift of God. And so uh, he spells that out in chapter 2. He gets to chapter 3, and he deals with why some of the difficult things happen to God's people. And he, he wrestles with that idea of, this isn't something God did. Again, Paul was in prison and the people at Ephesus didn't understand why God would allow a guy like Paul to be in prison. And, and Paul said, this isn't something God did to me. This is God, something God did for me and for you. And this is actually something that God's using in your lives. And you should be grateful for the fact that, that I'm in prison so that God can do things in and through all of us. So uh, he lays that out in chapter three. He gets to chapter four and and basically, we talked about this last week, Paul said, look, you've been called, God has done all of this stuff in your life, so act accordingly. Um, act in a way that reflects what God has done. And so we were challenged last week with this idea of walking worthy. And then he ended the vert at verse 3 by talking about the idea of unity and peace. And that's where we're going to pick it up this morning, because unity and peace is a it's a concept in our in our world in our Christian circle in our country that I think we 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 miss completely, and we we there's a lot of misunderstandings with it. Um, one of the ideas and and this is something that we're going to talk about kind of at length, but one of the ideas is that in order to have unity, we have to have uniformity okay that's not true okay um, that th- There's a principle in which in some cases. The more uniformity you have, the more unity you have. If you're in the military, we have a lot of guys that are, and gals that are drilled this morning because uh, we have a lot of military members. And in and, a and military, the, one of the things the military believes is that in order to have unity with our group, we're going to have uniformity. Everybody's going to dress the same. Everybody's going to have the same haircut. Everybody's going to have the same uh, everything. They, they develop this uniformity to say everybody is uniform, and therefore that equals unity. But any of you who have been in the military know, just because everybody is uniform does not mean there's unity. Um, unity is, is something bigger than that. And so we get that way, too, in, in, in our culture right now, where we think if we, can all, if we can all just put aside everything, we can all be unified. If we can all be the same, then we can be unified and we can have unity. And so let's focus on unity and let's focus on peace, and let's push aside everything that we disagree about. And, and you're going to see this morning, that's not what unity is, as Paul talks to the, the church here about unity. Paul explains, he's explaining to these people in Ephesus that the unity exists because of Christ, and their job is to keep the peace of that unity. It's not to create it, it's to keep that which God has already done. And so in the next Four ver- or three verses, Paul's going to explain that unity, and here it is. This is where we're going to be all morning, so here's what it says. Uh, starting in verse 4, Paul says, there's actually seven ones in this passage here, and we're going to walk through each one of them. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And then he goes on to just give you four characteristics of the Father. The father of all, who is over all, who is through all, and who is in all. So let's walk through it just phrase by phrase so we all, all understand. Paul's saying this. He's saying he's talking to the he's talking to the church at Ephesus. So let's back it up and let's talk about what happened at Ephesus and who we're talking about. This is a church that's composed of Jews, Greeks, and maybe even Romans. Okay? So these are people who were 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 Enemies of each other. I mean, a Jew got up every morning, a good solid Jew got up every morning and said, Dear God, thank you for this beautiful day, and thank you that I was not born a Gentile. Because the Jews had that much animosity towards the Gentiles. And the Gentiles wanted nothing to do with the Jews. And the Romans, well, they were a whole different world. And so you have all of these people now that are coming together as Christians and they're now worshiping together. And Paul's trying to explain to them, like he did in chapters 1, 2, and 3, that, look, you're no longer Jews and Greeks. You are now Christians. You are now the church. And you are a different organism. And this is why you are different. And he talks about the idea that the thing that they have in common. And here's what he said. You are one body. Now, up until now, Paul has given us a number of ideas regarding the church. He said, you're a kingdom, so you're a citizen of that kingdom. He said, uh, you're a family, and he talks about the idea that you are are family together as brothers and sisters, if you will, in Christ. He talks about the idea that you're you're a building and that your stones all fit together, and now he introduces a new idea. He says, you are a body. A body, human body, is a living organism. It is alive. So there is an organic nature to it. Paul didn't say the church is an organization. He said it's a body. It's this living, breathing thing that reproduces itself, that grows, that changes. It's this, it's this idea of it all works together. So think about this for a second. How does your body function? It all connects together, doesn't it? So if I want to do something as simple as... Um, Let's see, here we go. So if I want to do something as simple as reach out and and pick this up, what happened in order for me to do that? First of all, my eyes had to see it and identify what it was. My brain had to figure out that I wanted to pick it up. Then my brain had to process everything that was going to be required to pick it up. It meant that my arm was going to have to move that way. My eyes were going to have to tell it how far the distance is so that it didn't go past it then my muscles and nerves are going to have to comprehend the fact that now I need to physically grasp it with, with all of my hands. And then I needed to pick it up, and then I need to bring it towards me. And now I'm going to put it down, and my brain just had to process where that was. All of that had to work in tandem and connection with everything else in order for my body to do this. Now, technically, my hand did it. My hand did but... All of that work together to make that happen. That's what Paul's saying. You're going to see this in the next couple of weeks when Paul starts talking about different roles in the church and how it all functions together. And here's the irony the irony is, as long as your body all does and functions like that and does what it's supposed to do, it's healthy. It's healthy and it all functions. But in order, but if you have one cell that decides to go rogue, it's cancer. That's what cancer is. You realize that, right? It's one cell that decides to do its own thing. It's one cell that says, I'm not going to play nice with the rest of the body. In fact, not only am I going to not play nice, I'm going to start sabotaging the rest of the cells of the body. That's all it takes. It's, 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 it's what happens with infection. That's what happens with, when you get something in that starts, to t- that, that starts to hurt the body instead of help the body. And Paul says, look, you didn't understand, as a church, as a group, you're a body. So, you, so inherent in that idea is that we grow together, that we reproduce, that we help one another, that we function together, that we work together. Then he goes on to say, you're one spirit. Um, later, Paul's going to say, not in this passage, but in, in another book, Paul's going to say, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Paul says, there's this idea that when you became a Christian... There was a spiritual side of you that the Holy Spirit, taught in Corinthians, indwells you now. And you are are of that one Spirit. So the one thing that you have in common is that the Holy Spirit lives within all of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We call that the church. And he goes on to say this, just as you were called to one hope. So Paul said, so you guys aren't Jews and Greeks and Romans anymore. You guys are now this, we would call it the church. He hasn't defined it. I mean, he has in chapter two, but he's given us the idea of what this thing looks like. He says, you have one body. He said, you're one body. You're all together now. He said, you're one spirit. You all have the Holy Spirit. You have one hope. There are two ideas here. Some people, I think in context, he's talking about the blessed hope of Jesus coming again. Um, But it's also that hope that, there is life beyond this world. That this is not all there is. That my hope is resting in the fact that I will go to be with my father because in his house are many mansions. If he weren't so, he would have told you he's going to prepare a place for you. And so I think there's a hope that he'll either come again or I'll go to be with him. Paul says you all have that hope. That's why we sorrow I think that's why the Titus, I think Titus says, we sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. Because one of the things that we have as believers, as Christians, is this credible hope that there is life past this. And then he goes on to say, uh, when you were called, one Lord. Um, now in the Old Testament, Lord was God. Uh, in the New Testament, it's Jesus. Um, the idea of Lord was an anti-Greek deal. You you did not want to be a slave and have a Lord over you. Um, You wanted to be the Lord. You wanted to be the master. Um, So in in this context, Paul said, there's one Lord. He's talking about, and he doesn't say Savior. It's interesting, he doesn't say Savior. He says, there's one Lord. There's one master over you. That master is Jesus Christ. So the, the, that's, the, that's the Lord, that's the person who is responsible for the direction of what happens in this thing that we call the church. And then he goes on to say this, one faith. Um, this becomes a very important part right here when we talk about unity. Um, and the idea of faith, we we have, again, you know as well as I do, there are all kinds of different people that believe all kinds of different things and all different kinds of of. "Quote unquote faiths." So let's try to define faith for a second here. Um, faith has this idea of I believe what we talk the essentials. Okay, um, there are there are things that I'm going to say are non-essential in other words they're not they're not hills to die on. And then there are essentials to the issue of faith. If my faith, for by grace are you saved through faith? Okay, so there's certain things that have to be true. For instance. Jesus Christ has to be virgin born. You cannot be a Christian and say Jesus Christ was not virgin born. Because if Jesus Christ was not virgin born son of God, guess what? Then he had to pay for his own sin. He couldn't have paid for yours. He has to be God of God. Jesus Christ has to be the only way to God. That's an essential of the Christian faith. Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You cannot say there are many ways to God and then say Jesus Christ is the one I believe in because the reality of it is if there are any other ways to God than Jesus Christ, then Christ was a liar. If Christ was a liar, he wasn't sinless. If he wasn't sinless, he had to die for his own sin. He couldn't die for yours. So I have to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. I have to say that Jesus Christ, I have to believe, to be a Christian, I have to believe that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no way for my sin to be taken care of if Jesus didn't shed his blood. And I have to believe in a resurrection. You see, if there's no resurrection, then that means Satan won. And Satan has power over death, not God, not Christ. So those are just four really essential things to faith. And so I have to look at it and go, okay, the one thing that you have to have in common as believers are those things. You say, are you saying that when I became a Christian, I had to understand all that? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can't deny all any of that. So consequently... If somebody looks at me and goes, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian, but I think there's many ways to God. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in that virgin birth stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that Jesus, um, you know, I, I really struggle with the idea that, that, that there's only one way to God. There's got to be many ways to God. Well, then Jesus was a liar because he said there's only one. That, that's a big problem. If Jesus lied, that's a big problem. You, you follow what I'm saying? Paul says, look, you guys need to know you have one faith. And these all, all of these people had that one faith in common that, that was def- those were defining things that they believed. He says, you have one baptism. Um, there's two ideas on here, so let me tell you what. When people talk about one baptism, they, there's two ideas, and I, I agree with them both. So I'm not going to... I had to choose, I know which one I would choose. Um, but I don't think you have to choose. I think it can be both. Um, when he talks about one baptism. One realm of thought is that this is what we call baptism of the Spirit. And the idea is that when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came and you were baptized, has the idea of cover over, immersed, that kind of thing. He said, he said uh, we believe that um, by one baptism or by one baptism, by Spirit Baptism, the idea that the Holy Spirit comes into my life, and we all have that in common. In, in theology, we call it Spirit Baptism. There are other terms for it, but it's the idea of we believe that when you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit. Okay, there are other people who believe no, you got to do this and this and this. Or some people believe, you know, well, when you get dunked or you get you, you get baptized, you get the rest of the Spirit. Some people say, well, if you speak in tongues, you get the rest of the Spirit. And here's what I believe. Okay. I basically believe that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible clearly teaches God basically backs up the truck, dumps it all on you. Okay? You got it all. You don't need any more. You got everything you need. Okay? That's basically how I see the the teaching of the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean you access it, but you've got it. Um, And my analogy would be, um, do you use all the features on your phone? You've got it. You'd be amazed, if you have one of those smartphones, you would be amazed what that phone can do for you. But just because you have it doesn't mean you use all of it to its fullest benefit, do you? You know, you go, no, oh, I just want to take a call. You know, that's all I want it to do. Um, and it does so much more. And it's the same way with Christian life. God has done so much for you, but most of us never access all of the things that God has for you. So one idea is that you were baptized in the Spirit. The other idea is that this is talking about Physical water baptism. And I think there's an element of truth to that. I think that is, I honestly think there's a part of that that's involved here. Okay? Um, and, and here's why. In the first century, when this was written, there wasn't like 10 different ways of baptizing, baptism. Um, baptism in the early church was incredibly significant. Um, it, was, it was common, not just in Christianity, but in any religion. So even if you were going to go in in some of the other religions, you would be baptized into that religion. If you were a Greek and you wanted to become a Jew, you had to go through a baptismal service in order for that to be there. Because baptism in that that culture was a way of defining that you wanted to be associated with another group. It was a way to make a stand, to be able to say, I want, it was public, first of all. So it was the idea of, of telling everybody, I want everybody to know. I want to now be associated with this group. I want everyone to know. There's no question. There's no secret disciple. kind. I want everyone to know I want to be part of that group. So it was a very, very defining thing for for a person. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, if people weren't baptized, they didn't even count them as part of the church. That's how Acts chapter 2 looks at it. Um, it says, and those that were baptized were added daily to the church. It was the idea of, okay, you want to be part of us. We want you to do something public to let everybody know that you want to be part of it. Now, this is a really bad illustration, but it's the best one I can come up with. Okay, So it's really, really bad, but don't go getting insane with me on this and diving in it too much. But here, here's, my, here's my analogy. Okay, um, We believe that the Bible talks about marriage. And we believe that marriage is something that's ordained by God and something that God um, set up and established. Okay? <clears throat> so we encourage people to get married. Okay? All right? um, we believe that's what the Bible teaches. So we encourage marriage. Two people say they love each other. We, can, we, we encourage them to stand before a group of people and God and make a covenant and a commitment before that group and before God that they will forever be together as husband and wife, that they will love, honor, cherish, till death do them part, blah, 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 blah. You know all the routine, okay? And we encourage that. We believe that's what the scripture teaches. <clears throat> However, we're in a culture which says um, you can love somebody and not get married. And you, can just, you can enjoy all the rights and privileges of marriage without being married. We we have a whole group of in the culture that says this is okay, this is acceptable. Okay, now we don't believe it is, but because we believe the Bible says it's not. But there, our culture says this is okay, right? Um, and when I talk to these people, it's interesting because we try to encourage people to get married. So when I talk to these people and we have a discussion, and they go, "Well, you know, we're committed to each other," and da 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 da, and we just think that marriage is just like it's just a piece of paper. I love it when they tell me that because I answer with this. Uh, you have a title to your car? Yeah. Will you give that to me? Oh, no, I wouldn't give you a title. Why? Well, I said, it's just a piece of paper. Oh, no, 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 no. That piece of paper represents something. Ah, really? That's interesting. You would say that. It's not just a piece of paper. It represents something. Okay. And so we encourage people to not live this way, but we encourage people to publicly stand before a group of people and God and say, I'm committing to you, and here's what I've found. When people stand over here and we have this discussion, that's not important. Otherwise, they would do it. But when they do it, have the, I have this discussion with these people afterwards. You know what they say? I can't tell you why, but something's different. All of their arguments about it's just a piece of paper, it's no big deal, da-da-da, it's like, no, this is different now. There is something about making something public. There is something that has to do with standing before a group of people and saying, I want everyone to know we're in this together. Society looks at it differently. Um, legally, it's looked at differently. Um, there are all kinds of things that are looked at differently because of this. It's a public thing over here. Do, d- does it change how much they love each other going from... No, not really. I mean, you know, they love each other, they love each other. I mean, you know, it's, but it's different because of the public aspect of it. Baptism, I think it's the same way. When I talk to people who aren't baptized, won't get baptized, blah, 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 whatever. You know, you know, and I hear all the excuses, and I know all the reasons, and I've listened to it year after year after year. Uh, you know, I've been in this thing a long time, so you're not going to tell me something I probably haven't heard. And then they make the decision to get baptized. Something different. There's something that changes. There's something about doing something public. Again, This is not about salvation. I want to be very, very clear about that. We believe you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Period. But we believe that when you become a Christian, there are certain things that you do. Not to be a Christian, but because you are a Christian. You know, when I got married, okay, I stopped dating. Now, my wife never sat me down and said, okay, honey, I want you to understand now. In order to stay married, you've got to stop dating. I mean, probably if I kept dating, we probably wouldn't be married. But, I mean, that, yeah, the point is, with her, it was one of those deals where it's like, I love you. I'm committed to you. I don't need to date anymore. You know, I did it, I did it as a result of being married, not to, not to, not to be married, it's just something you do. There's things that a Christian that I do, not to be a Christian, but because I'm a Christian. It's a natural outpouring of being a Christian. That's what communion's about. That's why we do communion every Sunday. It is a public thing that we say, I'm not ashamed publicly to be associated with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And it's the thing we do here every week. Baptism is the thing where it's kind of like salvation. I was saved once. I'm going to get baptized once. I'm going, to, it's just, I'm going to make a public profession. This. I want everybody to know I'm all in. And you go, well, you know, I don't think I'll do that much. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. If you don't believe me, start in Matthew. Read all the way to Revelation. Tell me if you think the Bible teaches it or not. I think what you'll find is the Bible teaches that, you know what? People were at you. You, go, you go, okay, pastor, you know, what do I need to do? You just come talk to me. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll make something work. You know, but I, I think it's, I, so I think when Paul writes these people, he's looking at these people in Ephesus, he said, one baptized. All you guys were baptized in the church the same way. Either with the Holy Spirit or with water baptism. I mean, they all came in that way. It wasn't about, okay, Jews did it this way, Greeks did it that way, Romans did it. No, they all had that in common. And then he goes, you have one God. You all worship the same God. And he gives him a, a, a characteristic. He says, he's your father. He's the father of all. That makes us again, to go back to the brother-sister idea. He is, he is over all. He's the one who calls the shots, not us. He is in all, through all. He wants to use you. He wants to use us. And Paul writes to these people, and he goes, look, here are seven things that are true about you as a church. And you know that, Because this is going to lay the foundation now for what he's going to say in the rest of the book. Um, so a couple ideas as we, uh, as we, as we talk about it, a couple takeaways, um, for us as we head into the week, here's the first thing. You're going to hear me talk a lot about this in the next couple of months, because this lays a foundation for, um, a lot of what's said, and this is where there's a big problem today in churches with understanding this. So I'm going to give you a very difficult, I'm going to make a very difficult statement and then I'm going to walk you through it. Okay. Um, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, were dealt with in chapter 1. That was the doctrinal section. We now get to chapter 4, and we're now going to walk through the practical section of what Christianity looks like. In chapter 4, right off the bat, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit mentioned. One Lord, one Spirit, one God. Okay, you see that? So we have this Trinity idea going on. And you're going to see it again throughout the book. Because, here's why. There is a principle in the Trinity that helps you to understand unity and that helps you understand all the things that he's going to talk about when he talks about relationship. And here's how we say it in theology. Equal in essence, subordinate in function. Okay? Equal in essence, subordinate in function. All right? So now let me put it in English so that we all understand it. Equal in essence. Do we believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God? Yes or no? Really? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, okay. One more time. Yes or no? Yes. yes. Okay, good. I thought we were going to have a big problem right off the bat. Um, no, we believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all equal, right? One's not better than the other, right? We say... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are all equal. They are all equally God, right? No debate there, okay? However, here's what you see in the Bible. You see an order, or you see a function, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For instance, God the Father sends God the Son. And when God the Son is getting ready to go to the cross... He tells them, I'm going to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit. So follow this. God the Father sends God the Son. God the Son, you need to go down You go down there. God the Son goes to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you need to go down there now. There is, there is this progression. God the Father sending God, God the Son. God the Son sending God the Holy Spirit. When you look at their roles and what they do, here's what you'll find. The Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, always points to God the Son. And God the Son always points back to God the Father. How many times do you read Jesus saying, I came not to do my will, but the will of my Father, who sent me? Make sense? Okay, here's why. Now, wait a minute. They are equal, but there's an order. They are equal, but they do different things. Equal in essence, subordinate in function. We would never say, because the Holy Spirit did the will of the Son, who did the will of the Father, that the Holy Spirit is less than God the Father. That's heresy. we believe they are all equal. Paul is going to use that idea as we go throughout Ephesians to help us understand that we can be equal in Christ and just have different roles. Does it make one person better than another person? No. A child who is a Christian has all of the same abilities if you will as someone who's been a Christian for 50 years do they have the same role no are, are there some dist- yes are they equal in Christ yes because Paul in other places is going to say there's not Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor this or that we're all equal in Christ it's just we have different functions we have different roles and that's going to be a important part for us to understand Here, Paul starts laying out. In fact, Paul actually, some Bible people believe that there's actually, in this passage, you can link the spirit and the body together. You can link the Lord with faith and baptism and hope and God as a separate. You can actually see some of the things that they're doing even in this passage. So that's an important principle to understand. We can be equal and yet still have different roles. Okay. Second idea, that... Paul talks about in this. I got to drink this down. Um, is this idea the church has to work together? Okay, we have to function together. We're a body. Um, it is so important that you and I grasp this. I think we're fortunate here. I, I think that as a church we work together very well. I mean, we've been able to do two buildings together without killing each other and splitting a church over it. Um, we've learned very very quickly that we all do things differently. Um, and that, that some of us are always right and others are wrong. Um, you know, we, I mean, we've learned. We've worked together. We've learned, we've learned to cut people slack. And we've learned, so we've done that as a church, and it's an incredible thing to be able to do. And it's so important that we understand that the unity that God brings us together means that, that we can function together. And we can identify things that hurt us or harm us as a body and deal with it very quickly. You know, if you know anything about cancer or you know anything about infection, one of the things that happens in either one of those is the earlier you can identify it and start to deal with it, the better your chances of recovery. It's no different for a church. The sooner we can identify and see something that is going to hurt us and and get it early, the better we are as a church one of the things that I have learned in my experience over the years is this. There's nothing that's more detrimental to a church than than disunity. Than somebody getting in and going, I want my way. Um, It can destroy a church faster than you can imagine. And so it's our goal to always try to have the idea of, okay, what does God want for us here? Not what do you want, what what does God want for us and, and how does God direct us? We want to work together. You've heard me say it over and over again. The Christian life is not a solo journey. Some of you are struggling in your Christian life because you're trying to live it on your own. It would be like my hand. Oh, oh, oh I, I remember. Anybody remember like two months ago when I clipped this plant about the idea of vine and, and branches? Okay. Um, here is, this is, they tell you how long we clean out the pulpit. Um, here is the clip that decided to live on its own. Now, it came off of that plant. Now, do you see a difference? And you wonder, why am I struggling as a Christian because I won't be a part of or join or be a part of the plant? I I, I say this with as much love as I can. Duh. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. You have to stay connected. You have to depend on other parts of the plant. This plant depends on a number of things. It depends on the water that somebody's giving it. It depends on the sunlight that it gets. It depends on somebody pruning it and trimming it up to keep it nice. It depends on the root system. It depends on the fertilizer. Some of you see these plants that are outside? You know, that it's like, I mean, I, you know... They get you know those plants get watered and fertilized twice a day, for what are we down? Where's Greg? Oh, um, here to Um, like seven minutes a day, seven minutes in the morning, seven minutes at night. They get water and fertilizer, and you're going. My plants don't look like that. Do they get watered and fertilized like that? They get taken care of like that. You know what happens when you get the ingredients right and you take care of things like that? Then then it grows like it's supposed to grow. And that's exactly what's happening for some of us. We're trying to live apart from the body and, and, and apart from everybody else and trying to handle life on our own, and we don't understand why we struggle. Duh. I mean, really. Get connected. Get healthy. Get, get other people to grow with you. Function together. You'll be amazed what, can, what God can do. Last thing is this. Um, and, and this is my prayer that we would have genuine discernment as believers. Um, one of the things that I see in the church that really bothers me is the church, not our church, but I mean church as a whole, big, big worldwide church kind of thing, is I'm afraid we're at a point where we're, where we're missing discernment, where we've kind of taken truth and pushed it aside and we're at a point where we just say, let's just all get along and let's just find stuff that we agree on. And let's just push everything else to the side. Um, and let's do it in the name of God. And let's call it Christian. And let's get as many people together as we can. And it sounds good. But it's not Bible. Paul identifies here seven things right out the bat that Christians have in common. And I would say what you need to do is what I do in my life is um, I, I have a filter that I run stuff through. Uh, the Bible says, test the spirits, try them, see if they're of God. If they don't match up, push it aside. Um, this past week, I've, I've got an old trailer that I've had for like 25 years. And about every 15 years, I end up rebuilding it. So um, I tore it all down and, 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 I, and, I, was, and I was working on it. And um, I, I was sandblasting it this past week. And um, I've just got a little sandblaster thing. And, and anyway, so I fill it up with uh, 60, 70 pounds of sand and I blow it. The problem was the sand that I had this 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 time, I had had a five-gallon bucket and I had it sitting in my shed. Now, i got two new bags of sand, but I'd, I wanted to, you know, I'm cheap. I wanted to use the old stuff first. So I started pouring it in. And I kind of noticed every once in a while there was like a bug that went in and I thought, eh, hey, it'll blow itself out. You know, 80 pounds of pressure, da-da-da. And I spent the first 40 minutes of doing this project stopping it, shutting it off, cleaning out the nozzle, pulling the bug out, pulling this thing out. And, that, and, that. and finally, I get, a, get through that whole batch of sand and then I start the new bag. It just went smooth as could be. If I was smart, and not a cheapskate, I would have filtered the sand first. I put a little screen in there, poured it all through there, and the bug would have gotten caught in the screen instead of adding time to the project and making it worse. And, and, and I see that, it, in other words, the, the bugs and the dirt and the stuff like that, it gummed it all up. And that's what I see happening in people's lives. is There's no discernment. So they, they make these decisions that it gums everything up, and they have to spend more time trying to undo something that they should have been able to sidestep in the first place. Does that make sense? And and a lot of times what happens is we're not discerning enough to step back and go, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do that. We're not discerning enough to go, you know what, just because they call them, just because they say that that's Christian doesn't necessarily mean that's Christian. And And it's important that you have a filter. As a church, we are very protective about this. You should know this. It's not because we're better, it's not because, but, but what happens is when people ask us to be part of something, we have a filter that we put it through. This is part of it. So somebody says, hey, you know, this mission group, this mission group, be a part of this mission group, or, or, or be a part of this organization, or help with this organization. And, and rather than just jump right in as a church, I'm not talking individual, talking as a church, I sit back and ask a couple questions. What do you believe, you know, first of all, I have to ask some question: Is there anything religious about what we're going to do? And they're going to go, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, great. Habitat for Humanity. You want us to help, come and help you build a house? Great. I have no problem with that. Yeah, and we're going to do it under the auspices that this is going to be a religious house we're going to build. And we're going to have all kinds of people come in and we're going to do it in the name of God. Time out. Now we have an issue here. Which God? Well, we all worship the same God. We're out. One Lord. One faith. One God. So if somebody's asking us to be a part of something in a religious setting, and, again, you believe whatever you want. I don't care. If you want us to be a part of it. We're going to put it to a test If it's not religious That's a different ballgame Some kid gets lost out in the field And and you want us to go get a group together To go help find them, sure You know, sure You want to have a big prayer service for it Who are we praying to An issue for us Go individually, not an issue go as a church saying we're all in this together? Mm, Why? Because there needs to be discernment in the body. Paul said, test it, try it. And and it's important for us to understand this. And and a lot of people look at that and say, oh, you're saying you're better than everybody else. No, I'm not saying we're better than everybody else. I'm just saying, I'm going to hold us to a different standard as a group of people. Our board's going to look at that kind of thing and go, is this something that we can be in agreement on? And if it's not, Go ahead and do it, but it's not necessarily we are going to do it as a church thing. Does that make sense? Because this is important. Because I have people like, you know, well, we got to get involved in this. We got to get involved in this. We got to get involved in this. Okay, fine. Get me. I, years ago, I had somebody come to me and say, hey, we want you involved in the ministerial association. And, and it was a group of people and stuff like that. And I said, okay. I said, you know, I said, I have more than, more than, fine. Um, let me see a doctrinal statement of what this group believes. Oh, we can't do that. I said, why not? They said, because we all believe different things. I said, okay. You have just like some basic things that we all are in agreement on? Oh, no, we can't do that. I said, well, let's just talk about a couple of little basics. Like, you know, like, do we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way? Well, we believe that Jesus is a way, but you also have to do this and this and this. And you want me to go into the community and say, we're the religious group, all believing the same thing? Isn't that a little confusing to people? Does that make sense? Because this is important. The message that we have is really, really important. And you want to make sure that it's a clear, consistent message. And so, you know, so like I say, it's it's important for us. So over years, have we been involved in ministerial associations? Yes. And our doctrinal statement and their doctrinal statements are in total agreement. You know now, little things that you know. Some people have formal church membership, non-essential. You know, blood of Jesus Christ—that's an essential. Virgin birth—that's mm, a have to. Is that making sense? Because here, here's my concern. My concern right now is we're in a culture with—I'm afraid. Let me say it this way. Christianity is big business, and it's big money. And there are a lot of people who get into it for that reason. There are a lot of really sincere, devoted people who it's not about the money. But there are some who, in all honesty, when you dig, you find out it's not about Christian. It's about I can make more money, and I can have bigger concerts, and I can have bigger bigger. Uh, events and I can have more people gathered around if I go and label Christian in front of it. I like what one guy said: "You can put a pig in your living room; doesn't do anything for the pig, but I guarantee you it'll change your living room." Just because we throw Christian on the front of something doesn't make it Christian. We put it to the test. Because that's what God's people have always done. Because God says, test the spirit, tries to don't be gullible. And you go, well, I don't know if I know enough Bible. Okay, here's the answer then. Then go learn more. You know, I mean, we've got to know what we believe and why, right? So I, I want to challenge you because as we get farther in this book, we are going to deal with some of the most controversial issues of our culture. And some of you are going to have a really hard time. That's okay. That's all right. Be discerning. Sit back. Figure it out. Sort it through. Because that's what Paul was doing when he was writing these people. Some of the things that he was dealing with are really controversial even in his day. Um, and, and, And we'll get into that as we go. So my challenge to you ends this way as you head out into this week. Paul explained clearly God has already established a basis for unity that should exist for genuine Christ followers. He challenged us to focus on the peace because of those seven areas. And as believers, we work together in unity to take the message of Christ to a lost world. And we want to make sure that message is very clear and that there is no confusion about what that message is. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Guide us, direct us. Lord, for all of us, God, it's easy sometimes to be swallowed up in our culture. or it's easy to allow the world to shape and mold who and what the church is. But Lord, you have given us a, this thing we call church as a, as a model for doing things differently. And Lord, it's sometimes overwhelming for the world to see us. And, Lord, I ask that as they look at us, as they look at the way we respond, like we talked about last week, may we be humble and gentle and loving. But, Lord, as we talked about this week, may we be firm and solid and unwavering, Lord, in what are essential things and what are non-essential things. And so, Lord, help us to be discerning, to be wise, and to walk together in such a way, Lord, that we are one as we walk forward and take our message to the world these things we ask in your name. Amen.